Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi latqiya. Amma ba'd. Today we turn to the story of the dear companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu His story is quite interesting because it starts with him being separated from his mother when he was young. His mother was traveling along with him and their group was raided. The people in the caravan were taken in as prisoners and their wealth was stolen from them. They then took these prisoners that they had captured to the markets of the Arabs and were set to be sold. Zayd bin Haritha was purchased by an individual by the name of Hakim ibn Hizam bin Khuwaylid. After purchasing him, he brings him back to Makkah Mukarramah. Hakim bin Hizam purchased a lot of slaves, and one of them was this person, Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu His aunt Khadija bin Khawalid radiallahu anha, she came to visit him, and as an act of generosity, he said to his aunt that you can take one of these slaves. So she laid her eyes on Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu and selected him. According to another narration that some of the scholars of Tariq narrate, Khadija radiallahu anha purchased Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu an himself. Now she has a slave in her possession, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala willed for things to occur in a manner that soon after that, not too long after that, the Prophet now makes a proposal of marriage to Khadija radiallahu anha. So this is all prior to Islam. He is captured as a slave, sold in the market, in the possession of Khadija radiallahu anha. Rasulullah makes proposal of marriage. And at the time of the marriage, Khadija radiallahu anha offered Nabi wasallam a gift. And it was a gift that was most dear to her, this slave of hers, Zayd ibn Haritha radiallahu anhu. Zayd now enters the home of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had no male children who lived. But Zayd bin Haditha radiallahu an was one of those constants in his life. He was by the side of Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He grew up with the Prophet of Allah. Some of the scholars, they say that the difference between Zayd bin Haditha radiallahu an and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in age was 10 years. Kana Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam akbara min Zayd bi ashri sinin. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was 10 years older than Zayd bin Haditha radiallahu an. He firsthand experiences the compassion, love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The great educational moments. He has a chance to learn from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam life. He is blessed with the opportunity to receive front row seats to the character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Who Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was in the home and also who the Prophet of Allah was outside of the home. Now, it's during this period that he's with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that something very interesting occurs. His father, Haritha, continued his journey searching for his son. He searched and searched and searched all through Arabia. However, found himself um, at loss. There was nowhere for him to go. He turned to the left and there was no one there. He turned to the right, there was no one there. He went up, down, everywhere he went looking for his son. There was no sign of Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu anhu. There is a famous line of poetry attributed to him. He says, بَكَيْتُ عَلَى زَيْدٍ وَلَمْ أَدْرِي مَا فَعَلْ أَحَيٌّ فَيُرْجَى أَمْ أَتَى دُونَهُ الْأَجَلْ فَوَاللَّهِ مَا أَدْرِي وَإِنِّي لَسَائِلٌ Every day. Hayati aw ta'ti alayya maniyyati fakullum ri'in fa'in fa'nin wa'in gharrahu al-amal. The lines of poetry are beautiful because they just capture a father missing his son. A father unwilling to give up. A person who cried his life in memory of his child that he raised. Bakaytu ala zaydin walam adri ma fa'al. Continue to cry for my son Zaid without having any idea what happened to him. Is he alive or has death come to him? Is he been stolen? Has he been taken? Every day when I see the sun rise, I think of my son Zaid. Where is my Zaid ibn Haritha? And then when the sun disappears again, afala means to disappear. When the sun disappears again, I wait for my son to return back home. And then he says, My life or death come to me. Either way, I'm not going to stop. Whether it's my life that I have or my death that approaches me, I will continue to look for my son. فَكُلُّ مْرِئٍ فَانٍ وَإِنْ غَرَّهُ الْأَمَلِ 
It's during this period that he's in this deep search for his son that a group of people from his tribe travel to Mecca Mukarramah to perform their Hajj. During their Hajj, they lay eyes on this young man and they recognize him that this is Zaid. They approach him and ask him, is your name Zaid? He says, yes, that's me. They inquired, is this your tribe? Are these your people? He said, yes, these are my people. They head back home, approach the father and inform him that we saw your son in Mecca. The father loses it. He drops everything, mounts his animal, and rushes to Makkah Mukarramah. In one narration, along with the father came the son as well, Zaid's brother. So they arrive in Makkah Mukarramah and they inquire where Zaid is. They find out he's with Rasulullah. He approaches the Prophet and Haritha and his brother or his son. They say to brother here, because in another narration, it was Haritha who came with his brother, actually. He came with his brother. In another narration, it was his son that was with him. Regardless, they, they come to Rasulullah and they say that Zaid, who is in your home, actually belongs to our family. I am his father. The Prophet is naturally shocked to hear this. The father says to the Prophet of Allah that I am willing to pay whatever fee is required. I have heard that he is a slave in your hands. We will pay whatever amount you require, you need for him to be freed and return back to us. Rasulullah says to the father that I have an offer better for you. Put the money aside. I don't need your money. I will call Zaid and first and foremost verify what you are claiming. If this is true, then I will present him with the option to choose. If he wants, he can head back home with you or he can stay with me. The family agrees. Zaid bin Haritha is called Rasulullah asks, is this your father? He says, yes. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then gives him the choice to either go back with his father or remain with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Bear in mind, he's no longer a child. Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu an in that moment very quickly says, O Messenger of Allah, I choose you. Naturally, his family members were saddened, but they ultimately appreciated, they respected that if their son knew this life. And if he was so attached to Rasulullah that he chose the Prophet of Allah over, seeing, over his own father after seeing him uh, with such a long time passing that his attachment with Rasulullah was special. The Prophet of Allah was a part of his life that he couldn't be separated from. So with a heavy heart, they accepted this and returned back. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then took Zayd bin Haditha radiallahu an by the hand in front of the leaders of the Quraysh and said, Zayd who was my slave is no longer my slave. He will inherit from me, I will inherit from him. He is now my son. This is the practice of tabanni, where a person takes someone outside of their family 
and includes them into their own as their son, as their child, that this is my child from now on. They would actually not only take the name, but they would be included in the lineage. They would be included in the inheritance. The Prophet ﷺ, from there on, he became known in Mecca Mukarramah as Zayd ibn Muhammad. Zayd, the son of Muhammad. For the Arabs, this was a very big statement. Because the Prophet ﷺ didn't offer this to a fellow clansman or someone from a wealthy background or family. The Prophet of Allah gave it to someone that was already a slave in his own home. Which made it clear that this gesture of Rasulullah was not for any worldly benefit, it was purely out of the Prophet's love for Zayd bin Haritha. Years pass by, Jibreel approaches Rasulullah with the very first revelation. And after Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam receives this revelation, he arrives home and shares it with his family members. Khadija radiallahu anha accepts Islam. Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu anha is also one of the very first Muslims. Some historians have actually listed him, his name to be from the first person. They say he was the first person to accept Islam. Even though this is commonly attributed to Khadija radiallahu anha, I cite this opinion, not because it is the more common one accepted by scholars, but to highlight how early he accepted Islam. That he was from those very first handful of people that became Muslim who said, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. And this paid off in many amazing ways. His own brother, he said to him um, in, the, in their conversation that happened earlier when they came to receive him and he chose to stay with the Prophet of Allah, so in, in the narration, فَقَالَ زَيْدٌ When Zayd chose, he said, لَا وَاللَّهِ لَا أَخْتَرُ عَلَيْكَ أَحَدًا أَبَدًا He turned to the Prophet of Allah when given the choice, and he said, I will never choose anyone over you. Imagine the tears that brought to Rasulullah So فَقَالَ His brother then said, فَرَأَيْتُ رَأْيَ أَخِي أَفْضَلَ مِنْ رَأْيِ it became very clear to me that my brother's opinion to stay with the Prophet of Allah was superior to mine. And it was this action of his to choose Rasulullah that made him very close, dear, and near to the Prophet of Allah. And I think it's a powerful lesson. I was reflecting over the story of Zayd bin Haritha. And yes, Nabi had no sons that lived anything past a few years. They passed away when they were young. But in return, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him the joy of raising Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu Raising the likes of Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu They weren't necessarily his sons. However, their relationship with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi was just like that of a son. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's compassion towards them was that of a father. And what you can deduce from this is that those who are most obedient to the Prophet of Allah are actually entitled to the title of being family of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says in Surah Al-Kawthar, the Quraysh would mock the Prophet of Allah because he had no sons that lived. Among the Arabs, lineage would continue through your male children. And because the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa children passed away at a young age, they would mock him and they would call him Al-Abtar. 
Al-Abtar means someone whose lineage has been severed. Maqtu'un nasab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to them, Inna shani'aka huwa al-abtar. That they are al-abtar. Even though the enemy of the Prophet of Allah, the mukhalif of the Prophet of Allah, inna shani'aka, the opposition who is saying this to the Prophet of Allah, they actually had children. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala severed their lineage in such a way that no one today in the world attributes their, their line of blood to Abu Jahl. That I am from the children of Abu Jahl. It just died out really quick. I mean, he had children who were righteous people. They became Sahaba. But you don't see it in the way we see, for example, the lineage that is attributed to Rasulullah from his daughters. And beyond that, every Muslim, every single Muslim, would be willing to trade their life just to have that proximity and closeness to Rasulullah So that surah, where does it start? إِنَّا Al-Kawthar means khayran kathira. That we have given you good in abundance. Someone has one child, someone has two children, someone has three or four, someone has five or six. Parents get caught up with their children. We spend our lives running after them, taking care of them. And Rasulullah was given the entire ummah as a family. And every one of them expressing a level of love to the Prophet of Allah that no child can actually ever express to their own parents. And the Prophet's love for his ummah was more intense than any mother or father could ever love their own children. Therefore, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, um, That his that the right of the Prophet of Allah over people, over people is such that it's unparalleled. Nothing matches the right that the Prophet of Allah has over people. And the wives of the Prophet of Allah are like the mothers. For the ummah. Therefore, when we refer to the Prophet wives, we call them ummahatul mu'mineen, the mothers of the believers. Or if we're referring to one of them, we say ummul mu'mineen, Zainab radiallahu anha. Ummul mu'mineen, um Salma radiallahu anha, the mothers, the mother of the believers. Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu an was by the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in all the major battles while he was alive. And beyond that, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would actually appoint him as Amir over a group that was being sent. If a group of soldiers, a battalion was being sent somewhere, if there was an expedition, Zayd bin Haritha was most frequently selected as the one that would be the Amir if the Prophet of Allah himself was not going. Therefore, in a narration we see Anab al-Huwaydith qala kharaja Zayd ibn Haritha amiran sab'a saraya that in no less than seven occasions Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam appointed Zayd bin Haritha radiyallahu an as the amir as the leader of the people when they went out for war there was one particular um, expedition Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent him out on called Sariyatu Ummi Qirfa so this was a tribe of people who had sent all of the guys in the family, all their children, their children's children, to go and attack Medina Munawwara. They sent all their people, go and attack the Prophet Nabi to defend Medina and the Muslims, sent Zayd bin Haritha with a group of soldiers. After this was over, Zayd bin Haritha was easily able to defeat them. When he returned back to Medina Munawwara, 
Aisha radiallahu anha narrates the incident. She says that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam had sent him out. When he returned back, qara'a Zaydun al-Baba. Zayd radiallahu anha knocked on the Prophet's door. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam asked, who is it? So he said, I am Zayd. Rasulullah, faqama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam yajurru thawbahu uryanan. ما رأيته عريانا قبلها حتى اعتنقه وقبله ثم سأله فأخبره بما ضفره الله. When Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam heard it was Zayd bin Harithah radiyallahu anhu, the Prophet of Allah jumped up from his seat, his upper garment slid off. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam was dragging the garment behind him, didn't even stop to put it back on, didn't even stop to wrap it first. He just didn't want to stop. In that moment, he wanted nothing between him and the person on the other side of that door. The Prophet of Allah was dragging this garment behind him. And in one riwayah, she says, the only thing covering Rasulullah was a garment that had his waist till his knees covered. Otherwise, the Prophet of Allah never greeted someone like this. Nabi never went to the door or ever embraced someone like this. But for Zayd bin Harith, the Prophet of Allah rushed, opened the door, and without even putting the sheet on, just wrapped himself around Zayd. And then the Prophet ﷺ kissed him. And Nabi ﷺ asked him, Now tell me about the expedition. He said, O Messenger of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us victory. This was the position that he had with the Prophet of Allah. ﷺ. And Nabi ﷺ's love for Zayd was seen not only how the Prophet of Allah dealt with him, but also how Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam spoke with him. He was referred to as the Hibbun Nabi, the beloved of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam would openly make dua for him and publicly, repeatedly attest his love for him. That, oh Zayd, I love you. He would be by the side of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Now, as I mentioned previously, he was referred to as Zayd ibn Muhammad. This changes. The Arab practice of Tabanni was prominent, however, it had a problem. The problem was it altered lineage. In Islam, maintaining sound lineage is of the greatest importance. If you understand this point right here, so many ahadith of Rasulullah will make sense. Protecting the nuclear family, protecting the lineage of every individual is very important because so much of Islam is built off of relationships. How you take care of your parents, how you take care of your children. In a situation, if there's someone in society or in the community that there's no one to take care of or the government isn't providing for, the responsibility falls on the family members. You must take care of one another. You must go out of your way. Family bonds and ties must be maintained. The emphasis the Qur'an gives, not in one place, but again and again, makes it abundantly clear that this is not a secondary issue. If you, we covered this in our last class, actually, with Abu Dhar al-Ghifari radiallahu anh, that when people would meet Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the early days of Islam, and they would go back to their tribes or family members and then the family members would ask them, oh, tell us about your interaction with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. 
there were two common things all these narrations highlight. When these people would highlight their interaction with Rasulullah that first moment, what they kept, what they recalled, they would say, he teaches us Tawheed and Silatul Rahim. He teaches us there's one Allah. And he also teaches us to maintain family ties. This is one of the reasons why in Islam, marriage is such an important act and zina is so disliked because it messes with lineage in the family structure. This is also why in Islam, we have such a heavy emphasis on gender identity. That men must act, dress, and speak like men. And women must always act, speak like women, and dress like women. There should never be any, any confusion at all in this masala, in this matter. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah's curse is upon men who dress like women, and Allah's curse is upon women who dress like men. This is why the scholars made a big deal out of issues like how long should a person grow their hair. So there's never any ambiguity when a person sees another person from far that this is a male or female. This is also one of the wisdoms behind why our deen mandates the growing of a beard for men. So there's always that visual difference that this is a male, and on the other hand, this is a female. Now, even within the, within the definition of beard, most of the fuqaha, they held the position that the minimum requirement of a beard is that it's at least one fist long, and then beyond that, a person can cut. Some fuqaha, they said it should not be cut at all. Another group of fuqaha, while determining what the beard is, they said a beard is that which can be seen and recognized as a beard. It's fulfilled its task. It's fulfilled its purpose. Right? This is a, another position of scholars and the way they approach this issue. When we bring this all together, we see the importance of preserving lineage. And this is a complicated issue. Something that, as an imam, I deal with quite regularly. Someone is interested in adopting a child. So their question is, yeah. someone is interested in adopting a child, and their question is, in Islam, are we permitted to adopt children? That's the question. Is it allowed or not? Some people say that it is impermissible to adopt children. Others say it's permissible. Those who say it's impermissible, they're actually making a distinction between adopting and fostering. They're making a difference between adopting and fostering. Those who say it's permissible are not interested in the technical difference between the two. Adopting is tabanni, where a person takes one from a different family and brings them completely holistically into their own. So their lineage changed, and it's as if we've created a new family bond that did not exist before. On the other hand, the scholars who... And, and then on the other hand, when it comes to fostering... They say this is not only permissible, it's actually highly recommended, which we refer to in Arabic as kafala, kafalatul yatim, right? Managing the affairs, looking over another individual. They maintain their lineage, they maintain their family, but you bring them into their home and you treat them like your own. You provide for them, you feed them, you take care of them. However, at the end of the day, their lineage is their own. And at the end of the day, when they pass away, they won't, you won't inherit from them, and if you pass away, they won't inherit from you unless you stipulate that in the inheritance. That I stipulate that one-third of my wealth will go to so-and-so. That wealth will reach them not through the Quranic verses regarding 
faraid, rather it'll be through the chapter of wasiyah, where Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gave permission that when a person is uh, distributing their inheritance wealth, if they're writing their will, they can dedicate one third of their wealth to anyone outside of their family. Wathulutu akthar, and that's that's a good amount. One third, you can you can write for another person in their name. Now, this also has other impacts too. For example, uh, gender interaction. If there are women in the home and there is a male that you're bringing into your home, Islamically, there's no there's no lineage, and because there's no no lineage, the distance required between the two even if they didn't live at home, in the same home, will be required now that they are in the same home. Rulings of hijab, rulings of dressing modestly. Many people, what they do is they adopt children while they're young, and they overcome this obstacle by nursing them. That if the mother nurses the child while the child is under two years of age, then uh, nasab is established, rida'ah. And therefore, the child is considered to be family but you cannot nurse the child after two years of age. So all these things put together teach us the rulings of rada'a, they teach us of nursing, they teach us the rulings of kafala, and we also learn the issue of adopting tabanni. Before I turn back to our story, it is of great virtue to manage the affairs of an orphan to bring someone into your home, to take care of them, to provide for them, to feed them. There is so much khair and barakah in this. When I see people in the community who raise orphans, I kid you not, I feel like I'm looking at people of Jannah. It's not easy. It's not easy to raise someone that isn't your own child. Ask anyone. You can go into your own friends. If you leave your child at your friend's home, day one, it's cute. Day two, they'll make their hair. Day three, they'll hey, here's a sandwich. Why don't you sit in front of the TV and eat it? And day four, it's, you know, why don't you take a nap? You're, you're breathing too heavy. By day five, day six, you're done with the kid. You just tell the other person, come back, pick your kid up, I'm done. I can't be cute with your child anymore. It's difficult, right? It's difficult to take care of your own children. How are you supposed to take the responsibility of dealing with other people's children? And then, now let's move aside from friendship. Let's move aside from family ties. Let's bring it over to someone who you don't know at all. Someone that you're not related to. Raising them throughout. There are cases where people make this niyyah of, of kafala and then it doesn't work out. It doesn't mean the child is bad. It doesn't mean the person is bad. But there's no muwafaqa. It doesn't work. There was a person who um, decided to foster some children in the community. And... Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. It was really rough. He made, kind of rushed through it, forgot to take certain points into consideration. So when he sent the child back, he called me and told me, he said, I feel really guilty that I failed. I feel so bad that I gave this child hope and then I couldn't follow through. It was killing him inside. So I said to him that there are a few lessons to learn here. Number one, there's no need to be too heavy on yourself. Every person tries their best and if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. This is the same reason why in Islam we have nikah and we have talaq. Right? That you can bring two people that are not related together and try, and try to make it work. Unless they have heavy history like siblings have, like parents have. If you bring two people and make it work, it may work or it may not work. You just try your best. And if it works, alhamdulillah. If it doesn't work, still alhamdulillah. And then the same thing with this. 
But the other hand, on the other hand, in the future, if you try this again, may Allah give you himma, strength, and tawfiq, just take more things into consideration. There was writing on the wall here before you started this. There were some things that you could have thought of before you went down this path. Okay? This is, no, this is not one scenario, one specific scenario I'm speaking of. This is, it happens. You know? But on the other hand, mashallah, you have people who raise children and they, and they do such a good job. You can only imagine how much barakah descends on those families. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa himself was an orphan and raised by those that were around him. So he had great compassion for orphans. The Prophet sallallahu said, I will be with the caregiver of orphans like this in paradise. Like this. And he held his two fingers together. We will be like this in paradise. One companion, he said to the Messenger of Allah, that my heart, my heart is very hard. Qaswatul qalb. My heart is it's not soft. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told him to spend more time with orphans. Allah will soften your hearts by spending time with them. There are narrations that tell us of the virtue of putting your hand on the head of an orphan. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy will engulf you, will surround you. If you ever meet an orphan in your life, my nasiha to you is always buy them a gift. With whatever money you have, buy something to eat, buy something to play with. It doesn't always have to be something that they'll use. You don't have to buy like a notebook and pen. You can get something that they can just enjoy. Get them a water gun. You know, have a good time. Enjoy yourself. Life is already so hard and you're trying to figure out what to do with it. Sometimes you don't need productive gifts. You just need gifts that'll make you smile and get you through that day. Something that'll cheer you up. There was a young man in our community in Chicago who unfortunately overdosed. It was a very sad situation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his mercy on the family members that give them sukoon. And the sad thing was he didn't overdose once. He overdosed twice in one night. The first time when they saved him, he said, why am I still alive? And then later on, a few hours later, he was found dead. His family was very close to me. He had, I believe, three or four children. So I went for the Azza. His wife was a lovely lady too. I told her, let me take the kids out. And the kids, Bichari, Miskin kids, they were just crying. Father had just died and even that from OD. So I took them to uh, Dunkin' Donuts. There was a Dunkin' Donuts near our house. So I took them there and I said to them, buy all the donuts you want. As many boxes you want, you grab them today. Grab as many. Each of you grab two boxes each. This didn't solve anything, by the way. It didn't bring their father back to life. It didn't wipe away their trauma. But there was a joy in that moment of them just smiling and ordering a bunch, a bunch of sprinkled donuts, a jelly donut, brought happiness to the heart. Right? Small gestures like these go a long way. And one great blessing that we have one of the great gifts of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that alhamdulillah in our day and age we have a number of relief institutions that take care of this responsibility for us. They're always raising funds for orphans and providing for them. So when you are in your community or a masjid and you see a relief institution say that we are raising funds for an orphan, I'm going to say something a little rough here, but bear with me. It's almost fard upon you. See, I couldn't even say fard, I had to say almost. 
It's fardal upon you to make some donation. Just make some donation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَمَّا الْيَتِيمَ فَلَا تَقْهَرُ وَأَمَّا السَّائِلَ فَلَا تَنْهَرُ The two are together. Yatim and sa'il. That don't oppress an orphan and don't turn away someone who is asking. Give to them. Even if it's a little bit, you give. Give one dollar. Give two dollars. Someone was mentioning to me that to sponsor an orphan in today's world is like three dollars. Is that right? How much is it a day? He's our relief guy. He says he doesn't know. Maybe someone online can throw in uh, a number for the online folks. It can inspire them. Be a means of khayr, inshallah. Like $5 a day, $3 a day, $7 a day. This is nothing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all tawfiq. Zayd ibn Muhammad. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the ayah, Ud'uhum li'aba'ihim huwa akhsatu indallah. No longer were, will people be called by the names of their adopted family, the family that has adopted them, they must be referred to by their biological fathers. This is a big shock. This is a big deal. People who grew up with a particular lineage and name are now being told this has to be overturned. You have to reverse this. And the blessing was that Zayd was there in that moment and Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa led through example by turning his name back to Zayd ibn Haritha, the companion Saul. That Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is once again leading the companions by example. One time, Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu an, during the khilafah of his father, Umar ibn Khattab, he complained to his father that Baba, you're the Amir al-Mu'mineen, you're the Khalifa. Something's happening and it's not fair. Umar radiallahu an was a stickler for justice. He said, what happened? He said, well, I see that Usama bin Zayd, who was Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu an's son. He said, Usama bin Zayd receives a greater stipend than I do. He is a companion, I'm a companion. قَالَ ابْنُ عَمْرِ فَرَضَ عُمَرُوا لِأُسَامَةَ بْنِ زَيْدٍ أَكْثَرَ مِمَّا فَرَضَ لِي فَكَلَّمْتُهُ فِي ذَلِكَ So I told my dad, what's going on here? فَقَالَ إِنَّهُ كَانَ أَحَبَّ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ مِنْكَ وَإِنَّ أَبَاهُ كَانَ أَحَبَّ إِلَىٰ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ مِنْ أَبِيكَ He was more beloved to the Prophet of Allah, the grandson, I mean, Usama bin Zayd. He was more beloved to the Prophet of Allah than you were. And the Prophet of Allah liked you, but Usama bin Zayd was special. And his father, Zayd, was more beloved to the Prophet of Allah than your dad as well. I'm Umar, I'm your dad. And I'm telling you that Zayd bin Haritha was more beloved to Rasulullah than even I was to the Prophet of Allah. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in the seventh year after migration, sent an ambassador to the Romans. Actually, before I go to that story, let me pull back a little. One more thing I wanted to mention. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa accommodated and facilitated Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu anhu's marriage. And he set the marriage up between 
Zayd and Zainab bint Jahsh radiyallahu anha. Zainab bint Jahsh radiyallahu anha was close to the Prophet of Allah. On this side, she is the brother of Abdullah bin Jahsh. So she was close to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Zayd bin Harith radiyallahu anha, practically like a son to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet of Allah said that I'd like for the two of you to get married. They got married. However, the marriage didn't last long. It lasted about a year, just over a year, a year or just over a year. Why did the marriage fall apart? Some of the scholars, they say, because Zainab bint Jahsh radiallahu anha had a very strong personality. She was from a very prestigious tribe of the Arabs. Zayd bin Haditha radiallahu anha, he was more of a soft person, easygoing person, a humble person. Their personalities were so different from one another that they kept going at it again and again and again. They had a lot of conflict. Zayd bin Haditha radiallahu anhu would come to the Prophet of Allah and he would say, O Messenger of Allah, I intend to end this marriage. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to her, Amsik alayka zawjak. Keep your spouse. He came to Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa again. O Messenger of Allah, I intend to exit the marriage. Be mindful of Allah, be fearful of Allah, and uh, hold on to your spouse. But it became very clear that this relationship was not going to work out. Nabi Sallallahu kept telling him, stick to it, stick to it, stick to it. Ultimately, Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu anha divorced Zainab bin Tajahsh radiallahu anha. Now, since the hukum of Tabanni was re revealed and that this was no longer a thing, in order to establish this issue clear so there would be no doubt in it at all, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands Rasulullah to marry Zainab bin Tajahsh radiallahu anha. This was hard for the Prophet of Allah because even though the legal ruling wasn't there and Zayd wasn't his son, so it should be permissible for him to marry Zainab radiallahu anha. But in his heart and also the way it would be seen by people uh, could be conflicting. So Nabi Sallallahu was a little reluctant to move forward and Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala reveals in the ayah that you worry about what people will think, forget what people will think. The command is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that you will marry her and this issue of tabanni will end. There will be no doubt, no ambiguity. If the Prophet of Allah is to marry Zainab bin Tajahsh radiallahu anha, it will become clear for eternity that Zayd was never the son of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Even those moments where he said Zainab bin Muhammad, Zainab bin Muhammad, sorry, Zayd bin Muhammad, that he was the son of Muhammad, even in those moments, that statement did not change the fact. Now what happens is, Zayd radiallahu anha divorces Zainab. By the way, Aisha radiallahu anha, she would say that if there was any verse in the Quran, if there was any verse in the Quran that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had hidden from people, there obviously is no such thing. But if there was ever a moment where someone can claim that Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam concealed a statement from anyone, a statement of revelation, she said it would have been this ayah. This would have been the ayah. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
as he was a prophet of Allah, he related every verse revealed to him to the people. He educated them. He educated them and he taught them the Quran in its complete form. Zayd bin Harith in the eighth year after Hijrah is sent by Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with an army. And like before, he is appointed as Amir. The context of this, this battle was Nabi sallallahu had sent an ambassador to the Romans. His name was Harith bin Umair al-Azdi. On the way there, one of the generals captured him within the Roman lands and they tied him up and they beheaded him. Rasulullah was so affected by this because no ambassador before was beheaded like this. A Muslim ambassador being beheaded for the Muslims to do nothing would mean the Muslims are weak. So Rasulullah prepared an army of 3,000 soldiers and directed them towards Muta, an area not too far away from um, Jordan. These companions, they begin to travel. And as they're leaving, the Prophet of Allah والسلام, says that the leader of the army will be Zayd bin Harith. In Usiba Zaydun, in Usiba Zaydun, Fatakun al Qiyadatu li Jafar ibn Abi Talibin. When Usiba Jafar, Kanat ila Abdullah ibn Rawahata. When Usiba Abdullah, Falyakhtar al Muslimun li Anfusihim Rajulam minhum. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, The leader is Zayd bin Haritha. And if anything happens to Zayd bin Haritha, the next in line is Jafar bin Abi Talib. And if anything happens to Jafar bin Abi Talib, the next in line will be Abdullah bin Rawaha radiallahu And if anything happens to Abdullah bin Rawaha radiallahu then the Muslims can choose their own leader. This wasn't customary for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa to have a succession plan of this person, then this person, then this person. It is possible that through revelation, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi was informed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala how the outcome would be. Now the Muslims, they travel with their army and they arrive to the battleground they see an army in front of them that is many folds greater than theirs. Some historians say that there were 100,000 soldiers that faced them. So you have 3,000 on one side and this massive juggernaut-sized army. They sat down to do shura. What should we do? Do we head back to Medina Munawara? Regroup and come back to face these people? Or do we keep pushing forward? One group proposed that we should head back to Medina. This is no longer a suitable task. This army is too large. The other companion said, we came here for shahada and shahada is our path to Jannah. If you came to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no need to go back to Medina, march forward. Zayd bin Harith radiallahu an adopted this opinion and they went into the battlefield. They fought courageously Zayd bin Haritha radiallahu anha led the Muslims in the battlefield. But as predicted by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was martyred. And after him, the flag was handed off to Ja'far bin Abi Talib radiallahu anhu, who was a cousin of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and another companion who the Prophet loved very dearly. 
he was also martyred. And then the flag was handed off to Abdullah bin Rawaha radiallahu an, another dear and beloved companion to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He was also martyred. The companions then passed on the flag to Khalid, Khalid ibn Walid radiallahu an. Originally, he was reluctant. He didn't want to take the flag because he was still a new Muslim at that point. He had accepted Islam just within a year. And in that army were Sahaba who participated in Badr and the Badri companions were considered to be seniors. And he felt that it was not his position to be in any leadership position considering he had just accepted Islam not too long back. And there were seniors here who were with the Prophet of Allah from the early days. But those Sahaba said, Khalid, take the lead. Khalid bin Walid then fought a battle that is unparalleled in human history. The tactics he used to win, the courage and strength and confidence he fought with, it forced the opposition to retreat. A lot of tactics here. He used intelligence. Khalid radiallahu anh, he... In many of his battles, if you read, for example, his, his, his conquest in Iraq and also in Sham, you will see that Khalid was not intimidated by the numbers of his opposition. Because he knew that what mattered more was winning the battle here, in the brain. If you can over-strategize and if you can outplan them and then put fear into their heart, and Allah is with you, victory will be yours. So what does he do in some of these battles? When he was outnumbered, Khalid radiallahu anh had a to-go move. What he would do is, he would, he would say to his soldiers that on day one, when we go to fight, the guys that are on the right and the left, stand in your positions. But day two, when we go to fight, everyone swap their spots. Left back, right back, right back, left back. Left wing, right wing, right wing, left wing. So what happens is when you swap your spots, everyone swaps position, your enemy will think there are new soldiers here. So where did these new soldiers come from? We didn't recognize these faces. Where are these guys? He's, I didn't see this guy. Yesterday there was someone else here. And then what he would do is during the night hours, far away from the camp, he would have horses make laps back and forth to make it seem as if soldiers were coming. And then he would swap their positions again. And then he would say to them, that 10 of you are going to come, 10 at a time. And then he would tell his soldiers, he would put like 100 of them behind the mountain. He would tell them, when I give you the gesture, 10 of you will come out at a time. And every time he, they come out, he said, kick up the dust, make it look really big. And then he would tell his soldiers that when the 10 come, your, do your job is to go monkey with the takbir. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So fight your best in the first 15, 20 minutes of the battle. Give it your 100%. So the opposition feels a lot of pressure. Then you guys come out and keep coming. Every 10 comes out every 20 minutes. 10 come out every 20 minutes. 10 come out every 20 minutes. So they feel like reinforcements are coming. And then every time the reinforcements come, you put fear in their heart by chanting takbir. And day two, everyone swap position and redo again. And then swap position and redo again. This was one of his uh, genius tactics that helped Muslims in some um, crucial points in the battlefield. When Rasulullah received news of the martyrdom of Zayd bin Haritha, he cried and cried and cried, and then he said, Allahumma li Zayd, Allahumma li Zayd, thalathan. Three times, O oh Allah, 
shower your forgiveness to Zaid. Allahumma li Ja'far wa Abdullah bin Rawaha. And then the Prophet of Allah said, Oh Allah, forgive Ja'far radiallahu an and Abdullah bin Rawaha radiallahu an. In one narration, when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa received the news of the martyrdom of Zayd bin Harith the Prophet of Allah went to his home and he met the daughter of Zayd. فَأَجْهَشَتْ بِالْبُكَاءِ فِي وَجْهِهِ She began to cry profusely in front of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. فَلَمَّا رَآهَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam بَكَى And when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw her crying, he then also broke out into tears. Someone said, O Messenger of Allah, مَا هَذَا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ What is this? Why are you crying so much? Rasul said, Shawqul Habib ilal Habib. It's when a friend misses a friend. When a beloved misses a beloved. Shawqul Habib ilal Habib. Ibn Buraida narrates from his father. Nabi sallallahu alayhi Imam Dhahabi says that Nabi sallallahu saw a dream and the Prophet of Allah said, I saw in Jannah a maiden and I asked him, to whom do you belong? And she said, uh, Zayd bin Haritha indicating towards his place in paradise. So today was a story of Zayd bin Haritha a companion of the Prophet of Allah who was with Nabi sallallahu long before Nabuwa even arrived, before revelation had made its way to Rasulullah before the Prophet of Allah was blessed with the Qur'an. One of the first people to join Rasulullah when presented with a situation to choose between his family and the Prophet of Allah, in a heartbeat he knew where he needed to go. It shows us where his heart was, where his mind was. So we pray to Allah that he gives us that tawfiq as well. Every day we have to make such decisions. Every day. Is it the deen or is it something else? Is it the deen or is it something else? And our hope is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides our hearts to be connected to the deen a hundred out of a hundred times. The thought of betraying the Prophet of Allah in the deen should not even cross our mind as a fleeing thought. Just pure commitment. And these people, they prove their love to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by taking leadership roles. When the Prophet ﷺ sent him somewhere, he never backed away. He always went forward. He led the way. He guided the Muslims. And when revelation is revealed about him, he is the only Sahabi in the entire Qur'an mentioned by name. No other Sahabi is mentioned by their name except for Zayd The only one. And even that is in the context of marriage. right? But when it comes to you know, Tabanni, he was very comfortable with being Zayd ibn Muhammad, but the Qur'an is revealed, you are Zayd ibn Haritha. No reluctancy, no defiance. If Allah says it, then that's what it is. He is married to Zainab radiallahu anha. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to marry Zainab radiallahu anha. No defiance at all. That this is the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam should follow that command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam always embraced him and showed him so much love 
And ultimately, all of this, this whole relationship comes together with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala honoring him by granting him shahada. Because there is no death that is more honorable and virtuous than martyrdom. Rasul himself would make dua for shahada. He would make dua, Oh Allah, give me shahada. Nabi said, I wish I was martyred in the path of Allah, then brought back to life, then martyred again, then brought back to life, then martyred again, then brought back to life, then martyred again, then brought back to life, and then martyred again. This was the maqam of a shaheed, that there is nothing that matches the maqam of a shaheed. Before one droplet touches the ground, all of their sins are forgiven. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave this as a departing gift to Zayd bin Haritha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from him and grant him the highest maqam in Jannah and allow us to follow the footsteps of these righteous companions of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.